As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to the latest edition of the Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague Stuart Mandel. We are taping on Wednesday. Coaching carousel is still going on um, as we're taping this, Stu. We're still waiting on the defending champion head coach Jim Harbaugh from Michigan. Whether he does, in fact, move to the NFL right now. Or yeah, our let's... Uh, let's. Our expectation well, is that he probably will. You don't want to get freezing cold taked and people often listen to these podcasts well after the fact. So we'll, we'll just acknowledge that at the moment that we recorded it, nothing had been decided yet. Yeah. Okay. So, but their arch rival, the team that they've beaten three years in a row, has been in the news a lot. They went heavy in the transfer portal. Uh, they had a significant cha- staff shakeup in that Ryan Day, who's considered by most folks is a terrific offensive mind and play caller is, you know, let's start with this. He has brought in Bill O'Brien back from the NFL. Bill O'Brien was with the Patriots again, and they obviously had a disastrous season this past year. Um, that let's, let's start with that move. And then we'll get into the rest of the Ohio state stuff. Cause there's a lot going on there. Um, reaction to Bill O'Brien now becoming the Buckeyes offensive coordinator. I think I'm higher on it than the average person. Um, I don't really understand. I get that Bill O'Brien was not the most respected NFL head coach. And so that kind of tarnished his reputation. But, you know, he spent two years as Alabama's OC. And those two years happened to be Bryce Young's two years. So he coached a Heisman, coached a quarterback who became a Heisman Trophy winner. Um, They reached the national championship game in the first year, a little bit more disappointing in the second year, but really that was more on the defense. So if you're Brian day and you're looking to bring in somebody who you can trust to take over the play call, you have enough respect for to take over the play calling from you. Isn't he as about as qualified as anybody you could have gotten? Um, maybe I don't, I don't know. Like I would say this for context, Ohio State or Alabama's offense actually was not as good in his two years than when it was when Sark was there. Now you're not going to hire Sark, 
but it actually took a sizable step down statistically, at least from, you know, the 2020 to 2021 and 2022. Um, I don't know. He, he's, I think he's got an interesting reputation. One of the things that will be chat, I think will be curious is how this fits because he had the authority to shuffle some chairs around um, Corey Dennis, who was the quarterback coach and it was a guy who's promoted up. He has now been relegated to an off field role. Um, I just think that the, the one part I wonder about is the thing that Ryan day seems to do best is run an offense. And now you're bringing in Bill O'Brien where, you know, if it, if it, if it doesn't go great immediately, I think there is going to be challenges because you have a really strong personality in there. And how does that fit with Brian Hartline, who is, who is the OC in title, um, but wasn't. And now Brian Hartline's, you know, moves back to receivers coach. Um, you know, I, I, I think in one sense, it's, it was an interesting move in that much of Ohio state's offensive staff, you know, the quarterback coach from last year, the tight ends coach and Hartline. So it's like basically three of the five full-time um, offensive coaches with, with, the offensive line coach and the running back coach being the differences were guys who really had only learned from coaching under Ohio state, you know, so it's not to say like they didn't have any experience because obviously Brian Hartline was, was a good NFL receiver and learned from there. But I do think that is something that some, you know, was, was talked about a little bit. So you prompted me to look up Alabama's offense rankings. Um, you know, in 2020, that was the undefeated, Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, Sark as the OC team. Like, hard to top that. They, they averaged went... 7.8 yards a play, and they ranked number two in the country. The next uh, year, they they fell to 16th. 16th, but in Bill O'Brien's last year, they were eighth. Uh, so I don't think he was terrible, but I would what I would agree with you on is these are some big personalities that you're trying to blend together. And I think, I mean, Bill O'Brien was an NFL head coach, he goes to work for Nick Saban. I think there's probably a concession there. You're going to work for the greatest college football coach of all time. Um, like I would imagine you're going to take your marching orders. But Bill O'Brien was a Big Ten head coach once himself. Uh, he's going to, to to work with Ryan Day, who's not Nick Saban. He's had won a lot of games, but he's not Nick Saban. Like basically, it's going to come down to me to staff chemistry, um, alignment, you know, it doesn't sound like the Jimbo Fisher, Bobby Petrino thing went well at all. So now they were in a, a little more dire situation. I also think but, on the like I wouldn't use Jimbo Fisher as an example because everything I've heard from him is Jimbo. Again, it comes back to no growth mindset. And whereas I do feel like Ryan Day is not that guy, and I think is probably more amenable to to that and and everything. I just think the challenge is going to be. Um, Bill O'Brien's a big personality coming in there and you know, how, like how well does it mesh? And it look, it, it could mesh really well. I mean, they've, they have the best running back room in college football. I mean, Quin, Quinshawn Judkins is extremely talented. Travion Henderson, I think is the most talented running back in the country, you know? So you add that they have some good receivers back. The offensive line definitely has to get better. I, you know, their quarterback room is fascinating in that 
they have a bunch of guys who at some point you would think at some part either were the number one guy on good teams or should be the number one guy. And it's just like, who's going to be ready, you know, and how's that going to work? So what I was going to say is we may be overthinking this because the bigger thing to me than who their offense coordinator is, is who Ohio state has, first of all, retained uh, from going to the NFL draft over these last few weeks, they got back pretty much everybody that could have gone to the NFL except for Marvin Harrison. And of course the well uh, documented spree free agency spree, if you will, that included Will Howard, um, but also Quinshawn Judkins, who was, you know, star sec running back, just kind of plopping him in next to Travion Henderson. And then I think the real wow one was last we, we had, I believe on the podcast last week, Caleb Downs had entered the portal. He's, you know, freshman, all American first team, all sec uh, defensive back as a true freshman at Alabama, kind of the, you know, already on the fast track for very high first round NFL pick. And everybody thought he was going to Georgia to follow his position coach, including Georgia, <laughs> including Georgia. And instead he goes to Ohio state and which leads to the obvious assumption that they must have thrown a ton of money at him. I think the Ohio state, I, I, I find before okay. you get, and there's nothing wrong with that. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it, the Ohio state thing is fascinating to me because of like, it's such a perfect college football in 2024 in a nutshell, right? We're past the point of, you know, it went so quickly from, oh boy, people are using this, might be using this for pay for play to, you know, every, this is going on everywhere. Ohio State, from what I've always been told, was one of the last holdouts um, that they weren't all in on this kind of thing. I mean, Gene Smith was on the committee, the NCAA committee that originally tried to come up with their NIL policy. And I remember, him being putting out like a very stern memo about people abusing this. But all of a sudden the floodgates opened, not a coincidence. I don't think that it was after losing a third straight game to third straight year to Michigan, that debacle in the cotton bowl and perhaps most of all Michigan winning the national title. Um, the wall street journal wrote a really good story about this on the day that we're recording it. And the funny, and the, th the, the tricky thing that we're all trying to navigate is that, that we all know what's going on, but nobody wants to, nobody's going to talk about it on the record for the most part, because it is still technically pay for play, right? Even though we all accept that this is just the way it is now, if you want to get a big name portal recruit, you better give them a good NIL deal. Um, technically, that's pay for play, but they write the contracts in a way that, that gets around that. Anyway, they do have a quote here from Drew Essler, vice president for the 1870 Society, which is one of the two collectives at Ohio State. You never want to see your rival hoist the trophy, he said. Instead of complaining, everyone's put their money where their mouth is. So there's your on-the-record confirmation that the donors have kicked it into overdrive. It's, you know, I made the comparison in the mailbag. It's very L.A. Dodgers, where you have a team that's already pretty good but hasn't been able to get over the hump. And so they're just like, you know, we're going to go outside the best player in baseball and whatever the cost. Um, that feels like what the college football, this feels like the college football version of this, where they are all in to try to win a national championship in 2024. Yeah. Um, I think the questions are how far all in. Um, I don't know if I like your, I, I don't, I think your um, 
your analogy is probably the wrong one just because the Dodgers did win a World Series like three years ago. Um, so, but three years goes a long time in sports. Way to cover, Stu. Thank you. Um, but you know, I mean, Ohio State three years ago, uh, nobody was complaining, right? All it, this, the whole thing flipped starting in you know Thanksgiving weekend of 2021. Which is not well, that long ago. What's interesting a little bit is, and I think we separate some of this, but I remember one of the more like, okay, this is different kind of moments is seeing online on social media where I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was Travion Henderson, like after a game or like, you know, the, a couple of days after there's, you know, there's shots on social media of him posing with like, I don't know, a $50,000 SUV, or maybe it's more than that you know, from one of the local uh, automotive dealers there. And like that is not, um, you know, I, I just feel like that's that's reflective of like how different things are, you know, five years, you know, from five years ago, right? From and three I, years ago. Well, no, that was, I think that was like two years ago though. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, or I think that might even have been his freshman year. Right. But point remains. And I, I just think that like what has changed a little bit is how the money has shifted. Right. Like the money at, at one point and not so coincidental, like, you know, there was a story out. I think the Tampa Bay Times initially reported about the NCA investigating Florida. And it stems from Jaden Rashada. And we all worked on that story about what a fiasco the Florida pitch to Jaden Rashada for, you know, $13 million or so, and then it falls apart. But the, the point of that was, you know, whatever it was three years ago, a lot of these collectives were like stumbling over themselves to throw money at high school recruits. And I think what people quickly realized was, no, that's probably ill-conceived it's the transfers you need to go after like Caleb Downs is a way better investment than any high school kid who got seven figures it's it's like Caleb Downs like you know getting into the um Rose Bowl matchup I remember the the coaches I talked to were so effusive about what they saw from him or played him in his freshman year playing that position in Nick Saban's defense and so, um, you know, to me, you know, it's not like it's not quite like Marvin Harrison Jr. coming back. But to me, Caleb Downs, it will be on a on a team that has good defensive players, really good. He will be the best player they have. Um, you're absolutely right about how quickly I mean, when people would when so July 1st, 2021 is right is when NIL becomes legal and probably the first collectives start start popping up late that year early 2022 and when people would say it was the wild wild west it absolutely was because a lot of these collectives were just being you know um some alum with a little bit of initiative would be like, oh we should do that right and they weren't well run and the gator collective which we was at the you know the heart of the um jane rashada saga was a great example of that like they were making writing up contracts of money that they didn't actually have. And, um, you know, Florida state got in trouble because the offensive coordinator drove a trans possible transfer portal guy to a meeting with the booster, which, you know, is just sloppy. Um, it's not the wild, wild west anymore. 
as much as the, the, the Greg Sankey's and Charlie Baker's of the world would have you believe, most schools now have these very professional um, organizations that are kind of like political, you know, fundraising organizations. Uh, so when but it's but down still in the nature of this, the fact that when you mentioned that data, when it happened was boosters being involved in this, that was a, totally against the rules. Yes. It's still totally technically against, it's at least against the spirit so it, of the rules. It is like the wild, wild west in this regard. It is still like, again, and I'm not saying, I don't want to sound like I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth here. I don't want to say like, oh, this is the worst thing ever. My point on this, though, is that, um, you know, it is still the wild, wild west. There's still massive amounts of tampering that is going on. I, yeah. I guess I just the way you, it's it's however you want to use that phrase. Sure. Yes, of course. Um, there are NCA violations being committed every day, but it's now so like commonplace, so standardized. How's the NCA ever going to crack down on any of it? Uh, what I'm referring to more is those early days, early 2022, you know, probably all of 2022. People were just like making this up as they went along. And it was completely haphazard. And you had and, you know, you have agents who are sensing an opportunity. I mean, we wrote about um, T.A. Cunningham, right? Just mm -hmm. the, the who his dad just like shoves across the other side of the country in pursuit of an NIL deal that's not there. Um, so these Ohio State collectives, there's two of them. You know, at this point, organizations like that or the one at Ole Miss, certainly Oregon's, which is run by former Nike executives. I mean, they have it down. They have they they know when there's a guy that the coaching staff wants. They have a contract they have. They know the terms. They make absolutely sure not to put in that contract anything that would insinuate that it's, you know, it's um, that playing for that team is a condition of it. But everybody obviously knows it is. Um, you know, it's part of the recruiting operation, right? At the schools that are doing this the best, they've incorporated the collective into the recruiting process, just like the photo shoots and the everything else that goes on into a recruiting visit. Um, to the point where the Ohio State, uh, so it's there again, there's two collectives. We just the quote was from the guy of the 1871. There's another one called the Foundation. That Cardell Jones is one of the people who runs it. They broke the commitment of Caleb Downs. Like it wasn't Caleb Downs posting an Instagram. It was the foundation's Twitter account announcing how excited they were that Caleb Downs is now their latest ambassador, which tells you right there that, you know, this was not a, as they sometimes make it seem, oh, we don't talk about money until they're, you know, enrolled on campus. Nope. <laughs> you clearly made a deal for him before he actually committed and that just tells you like how um like i said like they're not remotely concerned that they're going to get busted by the ncaa so uh long story short like i said do you think they should they should like as you're looking at it right now do you think they should be concerned that they could get busted by the ncaa um only if you're being sloppy about it and putting numbers and text messages and, and, and whatnot. Um, I mean, the two that came, that got um, caught, obviously we, we wrote and others about the Florida thing. I mean, we had the contract, so that, that was, you know, it was just done so sloppy that, that it get out in the media, the Florida state one, I was trying to figure out where that came from. 
And because we didn't know it was happening until they announced it. And I found much later a Tallahassee Democrat article from the spring of 22, which is when it happened, where the guy who was running that collective, which has since been replaced by another one, flat out. So the guy that was at the heart of it was Amarius Mims, who ended up becoming, you know, a stud offensive lineman for Georgia, but at that point hadn't played yet, entered the portal, goes to visit Florida State. They try to get him. He ends up going back to Georgia. Um, there was a quote from that guy around that time saying how, you know, how their pursuit of him caused, uh, you know, great, um, like basically said, and I don't remember the exact quote, basically said, like, you know, we tried to use money to get this kid. So I'm guessing the NCA saw that and, and investigated. But for the most part, you know, it's a very small group of people in Indianapolis. They can't just like be flying around the country, checking in on every single guy who who signs a deal. And even if they do, um, you know, another thing I've learned is that when these negotiations happen, everybody has to sign an NDA. The every party and it has to sign an NDA. So the NCA can go and start asking you questions and you can just say, well, I can't I can't violate my NDA. So I think they're kind of powerless is, is my answer. If somebody gets busted, because mm -hmm. I've had people say, like, why? Why are you guys so harsh? You know, Michigan fans, they see the hypocrisy there that everybody piled on them for breaking that set of rules and everybody's letting the NIL aspect just just, you know, run amok. Hey, if somebody gets caught and it's against the rules and somebody gets caught, they should be punished. Right? I'm not sitting here saying like I don't have a, like a, a moral or ethical problem with players make getting recruits getting money to go to a school because frankly that should have been the system all along. It's dumb that it's the way it is right now or it's not the schools making the deals, it's a third party. But if you get caught and you break the rules, you should be punished. I just don't know that it's realistic that they're going to catch many people. Yeah. Okay, let's pivot a little bit to the SEC. Um, some long-expected news happened. Uh, I don't know if it's official yet, but as we reported along with other people. Uh, last year, LSU had the number one offense in the country. Um, the guy who was the architect of it, Mike Denbrock, has returned to Notre Dame. So Joe Sloan, the quarterback coach, um, got promoted to OC and... You know, look, they have to replace Jaden Daniels in the bowl game. Um, Garrett Nussmeyer played very well and was the MVP in their win over Wisconsin. They're also probably going to lose two first-round receivers, Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas. Uh, it's an interesting time in the SEC. You know, we've talked a bunch, obviously, about Alabama uh, in the last couple of weeks with Nick Saban retiring. Um, going into year three of Brian Kelly, he's had a massive staff overhaul he got rid of matt house the defensive coordinator and all you know most of the defensive staff is gone um the offensive staff has been shaken up what are you what is your expectations right now for this team uh i feel like it's blank slate i feel like he's brian kelly is in year three but it's kind of like a new year one um i don't i don't have a great handle on you know the personnel right now uh, I know I had them like low top 20 in my initial rankings. That could be way too low. That could be way too high. Where did you have uh, them? Like 18, 19, somewhere around there. Um, I mean, the defense has got to get a lot better, right? The headline this week was about who's going to be calling the plays, but really it's, you know, the defense. It's it's The defense was terrible last year. I think we were going to, you know, I was looking at um, 
Dane Brugler's mock draft recently. Jaden Daniels, Malik Neighbors, and and Brian Thomas are all like top. He all in his like top fifteen to twenty. It's like it's like um, I think this could end up being just like the team ten years ago, where once Odell Beckham Jr. and um, Jarvis Landry got in the NFL, and and everybody be like, how does Les Miles go nine and three with those guys? Like I think we will look back at that LSU team with Jaden Daniels and all those great receivers and be like, how did he have such a terrible defense that that team lost three games? It, it's uh, it was you know, it was a complete missed opportunity given the offense that they had. So I would just throw it back to you and say, you know, Brian Kelly went to LSU because he wants to win a national championship. He showed some promise that first year. It didn't get better the second year. They didn't end up being in that contention at all. What what is his plan? What's Brian Kelly's plan? Because there's a window out here now. Like Brian when Nick Saban retires. Somebody's going to step up and take their place if they slip. Um, and LSU would be one of the first candidates you would say, but is he does he have a plan to to be that team? Uh, time will tell. I mean, I, I think one thing you you know, like I think year one went better than expected. I think year two went worse than expected. I don't think it's a reset in terms of like it's year year zero because now it's year three. I feel like as the LSU head coach, you have no more than five, probably four years to win a national title. I really think it's that. And I think maybe at the most you get three more years. I mean, like you said, Nick Saban just retired. I think if if you're not like right there for a national title in the next two years, we know what Scott Woodward's like. He likes to make big splashy hires and throw money around. Yeah. Um, the, it's interesting. You know, I looked at their schedule before I asked you this. The first month is fascinating from this standpoint alone. They play both USC and UCLA, which, you know, for, for an SEC school, that's mind boggling. Um, somewhere in there, they play South, they, they go USC and Vegas. Then they play nickel state. Then they play South Carolina, UCLA, then South Alabama, then the schedule gets, you know, they got it. They get Ole Miss at home. Um, they get Alabama at home, you know, and it's like, and they get Oklahoma at the end of the year at home. So the schedule sets up pretty well in terms of like where you play these teams. Like they have to go to Florida, but we know Florida's right now feels like a complete mess. They got to go to Arkansas. That place is, is rebuilding and they got to go to South Carolina. That place and you know, that program didn't even make a bowl game. Right. So um, to me, the schedule sets up about as well as you could hope if you're in the SEC. Right. So, I mean, you're you got to play USC in Vegas, but USC just won seven games. There's no Caleb Williams there anymore. The defense is is a massive overhaul. You know, like to yeah. me, I'm surprised you have them as low as you do in the preseason. Like, I thought you would have had him 12. Well, it just so happens that there has been so much change in college football since January 9th that I, will be, that I will be doing a new one here pretty soon with some pretty drastic changes. And this is going to be I, one. But I, well, but I hadn't, I hadn't, I haven't gotten to LSU yet. Maybe we can talk offline why you, I'm just a little, I'm surprised you think 
Like any, you know, there will be teams that rise up that you're not expecting to and vice versa. Why do I think they're a top 12 team? Why are they, why after losing the guys that I just mentioned, they don't, they don't have, they haven't at least to this point brought in a Caleb Downs or somebody like that through the transfer portal. Why are they a top 12 team? Um, I think they're a top 12 team. The The backup quarterback is really talented. I mean, he was the MVP of the bowl game. He was behind Jaden Daniels, who was obviously the Heisman winner. They did bring in good transfer receivers. So first of all, it's like they have good weapons. All Like Mason Taylor is a high-level tight end. I don't know if he's going to be an All-American tight end, but he's really good. Chris Hilton is one of the most explosive athletes in the country. He's a holdover. You like, don't have to sell me on their offense. Sell me why yeah. their defense will be better. Sigh. Um, I don't. Because <laughs> that's, you know, like, that's what I need to know to move. You still, have, you still have Harold Perkins. You st- the, the issue I think they had. Look, one thing that I think helps. I think they got Corey Raymond back. Corey Raymond is a very good defensive back coach. They should never have let him leave when Brian C- Kelly got there. That was a mistake. Because, honestly, they had a massive drop-off on the back end. They took transfers who weren't as good at corner, and it hurt. And then they missed on a bunch of transfers, to be honest. Um, I think that, you know, Blake Baker, you know, did very well at Missouri. I think he will do well there. Like I said, I think Corey Raymond will upgrade the defensive backs room. That was a big miss for, for them last year. Okay, fair enough. I, I like I said, I haven't I haven't reached that part of the rankings yet. I've been more focused on. Oh yeah, one other thing too. I yeah. like the offensive line is has a lot of experience now. I mean, those guys have played a lot of football. You keep so, going offense; they'll be really good on offense. I have no doubt about that. Okay. I need to see why a defense ranked in the one hundreds. They should yeah. never have been that bad on They're defense. Bad. They were really bad in the secondary. Yes, they were. Um, so. Anyway, that I don't want to make it seem like that's coming out tomorrow or anything, but at some point later if, this month. I will just close on with this one last thing. If you talk to any old LSU football player and say um, the biggest hire thing, you know, miss that, you know, Brian Kelly's made since there, I would bet money that the mouth would be should not let Corey Raymond go. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think that that was bizarre at the time. I mean, that was, you remember at the time, those first few weeks on the job, we were all going like, what's Brian Kelly doing? Like, it doesn't seem like he um, he's coming in and he's like breaking up everything that that's good about LSU. So that's a that's a good um, course correction that he made. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. 
Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. We have not gone to our mailbag in weeks, so let's do that now. And as always, you can send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com. All right, Stu, let's get to... This question is from Gordon Cameron in Burlington, Ontario. It is one that um, I think we wrote about last week when it happened. It went about as viral as as some kind of uh, eligibility news can go. Good day, gentlemen. After reading that Miami tight end Cam McCormick was granted a seemingly unprecedented ninth season of eligibility my mind wandered to what sort of academic program is he pursuing at this point is he a phd candidate does he have multiple master's degrees is he taking random classes in order to fulfill the minimum requirements to be a student i don't begrudge him a chance to play and i sincerely hope that he's making the best use of both his educational and athletic opportunities but i'm curious to know how school works for players whose career extend well beyond their undergraduate years. Warmest regards, Gordon Cameron, Burlington, Ontario. Yeah. So you know I have a soft spot for the guys who stay six, seven, eight years. Um, I do. I now do an all-geezer team every summer. And Cam McCormick has now shattered any previous record of eligibility in coming back for his ninth season, which is only possible because, unfortunately, he had like three or four years in a row mm-hmm. where he suffered season-ending injuries. Um, the answer is multiple graduate degrees. I don't know. Cameron McCormick has a LinkedIn page, which says that at Oregon, he got his bachelor's in journalism and communication with an emphasis in advertising. So maybe he'll be joining our field soon and a master's in advertising and brand responsibility. In terms of what he's studying at Miami, I don't necessarily have that right in front of me. Um, But he did say in one of the interviews that he's going for a second grad degree. Um. Good for him. I mean, he's getting a bachelor's and two graduate degrees paid for um, by these colleges. I don't I'm not going to sit here in judgment and say like, oh, he must just be taking like whatever goof off classes he needs just to stay eligible. I don't think you could pull you might be able to pull that off for a semester. I don't think you pull that off for nine years. 
Um, this will be the last one of these we see. The COVID year is about to be the free COVID year already got, you know, soon we'll be past that generation of players. And the thing that I haven't gotten a straight answer on is it used to be you could get a sixth year, you, you know, your redshirt year and a sixth year if you missed a season. I, at some point, the NCAA just totally opened it up to you get a year for every year that you missed. Um, this is a pretty extreme situation. How many guys have four season-ending injuries? Well, I know one who did, and that was Michael Penix Jr., who got six, you know, who had played six years. I, on this, um, on Gordon's question, so last... Well, remember, the season-ending injuries, for it to count, has to be, you have to, has to happen in the first four games. Michael Penix Jr. had season-ending injuries, but some of them were in, like, the Fifth eighth game. or ninth game. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of this, another guy who is now in his seventh year who's coming back, Alan Bowman, and I spent some time around him last uh, off season when he came out to California to train. And I remember at one point I had asked him, because remember he started his career at, at Texas Tech and did well, and then he transferred to Michigan. And I was like, man, you were like the number three. It wasn't even like you were, you know, like why did why did you stay the second year after you realized, yeah, I'm not going to be the guy. You knew how talented JJ was and how he fit there. And he said, after my first year at Michigan, and he, you know, is behind Cade, I could have left. He said, but then I realized I'm at one of the best business schools in the country, the Ross School of Business, and I'm getting like the second best supply chain master's degree in the world. He was like, I'm going to get this degree in two years and then I'll have one more year and I'll see what, you know, whatever's out there. And that's smart. Like after he told me that, I felt stupid for asking the question because, you know, Alan Bowman has a better master's degree than probably any almost anybody else I interact with. Right. Right. <laughs> And um, good for him, took advantage of it. He happens to be a good quarterback, so he can, you know, whatever. But, like, I think it's easy to kind of mock, you know, like the Van Wilder aspect of this or, you know, the Steve Buscemi. I don't even know what that's from. You know, like the the gif of him with the skateboard, what's up, kid? <laughs> you know, yeah. Kind of thing. yeah. But, um, you know, good for these guys to take advantage of it. And there's probably a bunch of players who – depending on whether their physical skills or not, they're like, yeah, that guy's probably not an NFL player anyway. Um, so let them, especially if they're getting compensated NIL wise, um, you know, I absolutely, who, you know, who should I can't, I can't imagine he's making big NIL. I mean, Cam McCormick. Yeah. Like he might be making, you know, whatever they pay their, you know, yeah. standard, but he's not, it's not like he's getting rich by staying in college. He gave this. So in late 2022, when he found out he had been granted his eighth year, but before he left Oregon, he told Oregon Live that he would likely take classes in business or yoga or pursue internships to fulfill the academic requirements to play next season. There's one other cool thing about uh, the Cam McCormick part of this. Um, he has announced that he will make a significant donation to the Gallaudet college football team. And that is, I think, for people who have seen the ads, is a program that is, you know, largely for hearing impaired or deaf students. The contribution underscores his unwavering support of fellow athletes, particularly those overcoming unique challenges like the players that call you that do every day as they strive to excel in college football. Um, he won the 2022 uh, Orange Bowl Courage Award for overcoming adversity. So um, he's a guy. Who's good, for, good for him. Celebrating. Yeah. Um, let's go to Vinny. 
from Fond du, Lac, Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Hello, Stu and Bruce. Love the show. Thank you, Vinny. If the 12-team playoff had existed in the modern era of college football, so since 2007, which teams would have had the best chance to get in the playoff as a low seed and make a run? Johnny Manziel's 2012 A&M team, USC's 2016 Rose Bowl team, and 2017 UCF come to mind for me. Yeah, that Manziel A&M team comes to mind for me because they lost two games that year, but by the end, second half, or I mean, they beat Alabama at Alabama. And if you remember in the Cotton Bowl, yeah, they smashed, they destroyed Oklahoma. I remember watching that game from like a restaurant bar, and every time I looked up, Johnny was like dancing into the end zone. Um, yeah. You know, that team had a great mix. It had like the wild edge side that Johnny brought and and kind of someone cut those guys loose. But the but the nucleus of that team um, were guys who started with Mike Sherman. And I think that they had a really good balance. Like um, Demontre Moore is a really disruptive edge guy. Like they were better on defense than years later when things started to backslide there. But yeah, they were a dangerous team. I think the USC team with Sam Darnold was a dangerous team. Um, I have to look back and see what year that was when they beat Penn State. You know, that was a great Rose Bowl against Saquon and McSorley. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, look, the other thing is, like, even in the years Alabama didn't make the playoff, they were still really good and could have made a run. I think of the team, uh, and we just, we just mentioned them when we were talking about Bill O'Brien, right? I mean, you're telling me the Alabama team that had Bryce Young but lost by a field goal to Tennessee on the road and lost, I think, in overtime to LSU, couldn't have gotten in the playoff. And, and you know, I don't know if they would have won the national championship because, again, Georgia, really good, but maybe get to the national championship game. The crazy thing about that USC team, I forgot about this, and I think they did beat Jordan Love. It was the one game they won in the first month. Got smashed by Alabama, 52-6 to in Texas. Then they lost pretty bad to Stanford, 27-10. And then they lost at Utah. But then after that, it wasn't like they were blowing everybody out, but because they um, but they, you know, they struggled with Colorado. I remember they got better and better. And they beat a number four Washington team on the road, 26 to 13. And they ended up um, you know, beating Penn State in that wild, that wild Rose Bowl game. Like, How different would would Clay Helton's legacy be <laughs> if that if there had been a twelve team playoff and the Trojans had gotten in and you know like you said like it was a big deal at the time to beat uh, Penn State in the Rose Bowl but it would have been an even bigger deal to make the Final Four or something to that effect. Are you? It wouldn't have been different. Well, it still fell apart afterward, but I know it wouldn't have know. been different. You know, I know this because like they would have fired him three years later. I just think that that wouldn't have changed the perception of what a lot of USC people thought of Clay Helton. They would have said, you know what? Sam Darnold was a generational talent and that team, but I don't, I don't think they would have done it. Like I think was Sam Darnold, a generational talent or was he in college? Yeah. In college. I think he was, I think, I I think a generational talent is a phrase I would use for Caleb Williams. Sam Darnold was, Really good. Sam Darnold, I think, was a was a was an outstanding college quarterback. I think that 
you know, some of the stuff that he doesn't do great in the, uh, you know, in terms of as an NFL quarterback, I think those are things that are, you know, things that get exposed in the NFL. I just maybe I think the reason I'm a little jaded about it is that I happened to cover their game at Notre Dame the next year where they just got destroyed and he really struggled. But obviously that was one game out of it. I also saw Caleb struggle this year at Notre Dame, by the way. That is true. All right, Stu, this question is from Andrew. Stu and Bruce, do you think SEC football in the South would be as popular if NFL teams in the region, namely the league's two South divisions, Buccaneers, Saints, Falcons, Panthers, Texans, Jaguars, Colts, Titans, have a richer competitive history? Collectively, I believe this group has only won four Super, uh, only four Super Bowl victories, two by the Bucs, one by the Saints, and one by the Colts. Who are located in the Midwest. For the most of their existence, fans of these teams have experienced relatively little on-field success. And I wonder if perhaps football fans in the region may have turned to SEC schools as a proxy to satisfy their appetite for a winner. Winner. It's a good theory. I don't think it's the right theory because the thing you got to remember is college football predates the NFL in, with, in I think every one of these situations, but certainly like the Tampa Bay Bucks came along, what, in the 70s? Um, you know, I don't know why we're grouping the Colts in here. The Carolina Panthers were an expansion team and the Texans not that long ago. Um, I, the Falcons have never really, other than when they go to the Super Bowl, become become a big as big a deal in Atlanta as the college teams. Um, I just think the culture of the South revolved around SEC football long before the NFL was even as popular as it is. Um, I mean, really college football predated the NFL everywhere. And I actually wrote about this, I think last week, the mailbag, how it kind of flipped in the sixties in terms of which one was the more um, popular sport nationally, but I don't think it ever really changed in the South. Um, I think so much of the, um, like I said, culture identity revolved around fall Saturdays. And remember you're talking about teams in, some of the bigger cities in the South, but the university of Alabama is in Tuscaloosa. Auburn's in Auburn, Alabama. LSU is not New Orleans. They're in Baton Rouge. Like um, they're not, uh, it's not Philadelphia, right? It's not um, New York. It's not these major, major cities where you have that NFL team. You don't really have a comparable college team. Um, So no, I, I don't think it would be different. I just think, What's crazy, Bruce, is like college football, as popular as it is, you know, we, we talk a lot about TV ratings because of realignment. Oh, they're I mean, nothing compared to they're NFL. just, they're completely dwarfed. By the, the NFL had a, a game this past weekend, the um, Chiefs-Bills game. They had 50, 50, 50 million viewers, and you're only in the divisional round, right? You haven't even gotten to the I think conference championships yet. With that, Stu, is those are two small market teams, but they have superstar quarterbacks patrick mahomes is the biggest name in the nfl and josh allen is not that far from it you know like you know you can throw lamar jackson in there there's but i think there's very few that reach that level of superstardom um and i think again it's the chiefs and the bills those were not it's not the cowboys um it's not the cowboys and the giants or it's not the um you know, there's a few teams that have it. Like the Packers are a big rating, even though they're in a smaller market, because it's just have 
Packer fans transcend. Steeler fans is another one where they, you know, they travel well. Um, but I think that's different about the NFL. And you have um, guys who are big draws. People, I think people are more likely to tune in for the star when it comes to the NFL because guys, you know, Patrick Mahomes, it's a six year in a row. He's led this team to the, to the conference title game. You can't have that in college football. Cam McCormick, notwithstanding, you know, yeah. guys are not going to be there for very long. So you're not rooting for, you know, players aren't, you know, you go to an Ohio State game. I may see if I count it up. I bet you there's over 100 A.J. Hawk jerseys. A.J. Hawk hasn't played for Ohio State in a decade. Um, you know, you see some of that. As we're talking through this, I realize that, I mean, if you look at Big Ten, there's a lot of of the major programs where there's big overlap. There's a lot of people who are huge Ohio state fans and huge Browns or Bengals fans. Um, a lot of the people who celebrated the Michigan national yeah. championship are now all in on the lions, right? Packers in Wisconsin. So you can, you can be into both. I think when people, with the, 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 like, let's not pretend that the big schools in the big 10 don't have sec like craziness. They absolutely do. I think the difference between the two is that, there's a separation, right? Like you get to the bottom seven of the big 10 and there isn't that passion for Illinois football, Purdue football, Minnesota football, whereas in the sec, other than Vanderbilt, like Ole Miss fans, Mississippi state fans, everybody, everybody's rabid and passionate and crazy. And I think that speaks to, again, how woven it is into the culture. Last from Brian, uh, Johannes Gilbert, Arizona, on something that's really personal to us. It's been a very rough couple of weeks in our industry. Gentlemen, with the News of Sports Illustrated likely closing its doors, you both are former writers. What happened that caused this once giant media company to become non-existent and now potentially shutting down its doors? I know the print business has been failing, but you would think they could still keep a website going. He is referring to um, the SI is basically laying off their entire staff. I think it is this, Stu, and I think it's going to be an oversimplification, but I think it's really this. The business model was shifting for them in a big, big way. People don't read the same way they did a long time ago. It's just there's a lot more competition for attention and attention isn't as long. But then what really happened was they had terrible management that basically didn't understand what SI was, didn't actually care what SI was. And it seemed like they did everything they could to undermine it. And I think ultimately, you know, it, whether it would, whether it, you know, we know plenty of people who romanticize the history of SI. That's far removed from when, and honestly, it's like, I think even certainly when I worked there, but even when you worked there it was a very different product than what I grew up looking at. It just wasn't the same because you know, ESPN came along and, you know, a lot of other stuff crowded the space. You know, the idea that somebody would sit down and give SI unique access for certain stories or looked at it was way different than when you and I worked there. It's just, it had shifted dramatically probably in the last 25 years. And then when SI, you know, started to reel, you know, reeling, I just think that they partnered with some of the some of the worst business people they could have had ended up being in charge of it. So I could give a dissertation on this topic because I was there for 15 years and experienced 
um, a lot of what you're talking about. I would disagree with you. The, the most of my time there, I would disagree with you one, absolutely about the management, but we were still in my time there for most of my time there, it was still pretty darn prestigious. You could still get, if you were writing a cover story for the magazine, you know, if Grant Wall's writing about um, Lionel Messi, like he could get exclusive access with him or um, going back to stars before that. When I would go to a campus, uh, actually, I, I remember going to Florida a couple of times when Urban Meyer was there and, you know, getting exclusive access there that you probably wouldn't if you weren't coming for Sports Illustrated. So it's not so much that as what Bruce just said. Um, Sports Illustrated has been sold four times since 2013. And I, 2013, I remember very vividly, be, I was there, I, I had no plans to go anywhere else. And it was announced that Time Warner was going to spin off Time Inc. Time Inc. was the, was the, you know, frankly, what was the original time, you know, the, the original company before they merged and became Time Warner, they were going to spin off their magazines. Well, by 2013, we were already well past the point where uh, the world was going digital. And you're saying, wait a minute, you're going to try to have a self-sustaining, uh, publicly traded company whose core business is magazines. That does not seem wise. And sure enough, it didn't take long for that company to get sold to Meredith and then for Meredith to turn around and sell that company. And this is where the real downfall began to this outfit called Authentic Brands Group. Authentic Brands Group is a licensing company. It is not a media company. Like they own the rights to Marilyn Monroe's brand and Elvis Presley's brand. All they wanted was the name Sports Illustrated so they could slap it on uh, parties and events. And I don't know, at one point they were talking about opening a hospital or something like that. Um, and then where we knew they were in big trouble, and this is exactly what's ended up happening, is when as soon as that deal closed, they turned around and sold the... Um, or licensed the rights to actually operate Sports Illustrated's media company to what was then called Maven, what is now called Arena Group. And the people involved in that were just like the worst possible intentions. Like if they had had their druthers, they would have just right there and then in 2019 thrown out all the journalists and replaced them with aggregators and uh Kid, you know, at one point they got caught with a kid and that was still in high school writing about the Bengals. Uh, that was that was when Andy Staples came to us. Uh, I mean, that was when people realized, started to panic and realized this could be a big problem. And sure enough, here we are four years later. I don't know what the future holds. It sounds like they aren't actually shutting the doors, even though they literally just laid off the entire staff. It sounds like it's like a big game of chicken where they're going to try to, you know, that, that company, uh, arena group can try to get, just get a better deal, pay less money to do the same thing. Maybe they then rehire people or replace them again with aggregators. But I mean, the days are numbered. It's, it's down to its last days. And I kind of figured that for the last four or five years. And it's really sad. Um, really sad. But as Bruce said, it had already been losing its footing in terms of like prestige in the industry. I mean, we used to be that winning the SI Sportsman of the Year was like the biggest deal in the world. And this year, Dion won it. And it was like a 24-hour story of like, why the heck did they give it to Dion? And then everybody moved on with their lives. So um, unfortunately, there's a lot of this going on in our industry right now. The LA Times just slashed a huge amount of people. Um, 
I think a lot of print companies and Sports Illustrated is one of them were just never figured out digital, never figured out the way to monetize digital. There are ways to monetize it. And I'm very fortunate to be at one of the places that figured that out. But um, clearly Sports Illustrated never did. So um, all my thoughts go out to all. We have, I have a lot of friends who still write there. Um, I can't, I can't imagine what they're going through right now. Uh, our thoughts go out to them and just shame on the, the, the people that, that run that place that have just let it burn to the ground like this. Oh man, what a sad way to end the podcast, Bruce. Uh, send your questions for next week to the audible pod at gmail.com. I'm sure we will have more actual college football moves to discuss by then. And we'll see you next time. How did we get away with the things we used to do?